0: This is The Every Lawyer, presented by the Canadian Bar Association.
1: This episode is proudly brought to you by CBIA Lawyers Financial. Visit lawyersfinancial.ca to learn about exclusive financial solutions to help you build and protect wealth.
2: Welcome to The Every Lawyer, a Canadian Bar Association podcast. I'm your host, Marlise Silver-Sweeney. Our episode today is all about creating relationships with customers and marketing your small or solo practices. Our guest is a one-stop shop when it comes to these topics. Lawyer Jamie Benizri is everywhere. He has a LinkedIn network of almost 30,000 people. He creates digital content for his firm LegalLogic, like YouTube videos, newsletters for clients, and he's even done his own podcast. He's written a book to explain business law concepts to entrepreneurs. Jamie, thanks for being here today.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: So, there's a whole section dedicated to what you're doing at your firm, Legal Logic, in the CBA Legal Futures Guide on Innovation for Small and Solo Firms. And in it, you're talking about how you're trying to educate clients and customers and show the human side of the firm. And there was one line that really resonated with me. You say, you're trying to create a law firm for the people rather than a law firm for lawyers. And I wanted to know from you, what does this explicitly mean in practice? How do you actually do this?
0: That's such a, such a great part to pick up on because that's the most, for me, that's the most personal element of uh, of the firm is how do we interact with clients and how do we want clients to see us? Uh, my mission really from the beginning was very simple. How do we humanize lawyers and how do lawyers become happy in an, in an environment that traditionally um, you know, is very structured, is very rigorous and has a very set way of climbing um, the hierarchy of the traditional model? Right. I wanted to break that down. I wanted to demystify and I wanted to... Um, show the human side of the proverbial, you know, uh, aggressive lawyer who's charging by the second. I wanted to humanize that and I wanted people to feel comfortable identifying with a law firm the way that they identify with, you know, a lot of other professions this way.
2: And so what, how did you actually do that?
0: So the way the first thing that I, we did is, you know, we became very transparent over the years. Mm. You know, we've been using social media so aggressively. There's no one else around me that's willing to step up and talk about what it's really like to be a lawyer. Because it's not like on suits. And it's not it's like not. on, you know, I mean, it's maybe more like law and order than it is on suits. But we all come into this profession with this preconceived notion that we're going to get the Ferrari you know, out of the gates that our salaries are going to be huge. You know that you're going to have you, you know you're going to have the respect um, of uh, of society, and I and I think that what has happened is that we're graduating so many attorneys um, that the opportunities are becoming more and more um, scarce. Mm-hmm. Salaries aren't as strong as we're expecting them to be, and if they are, they really come at the expense of. You know, five of the other spheres of life, which is, you know, sleep, social life, um, you know, health, um, Mm -hmm. uh, family uh, or, you know, your professional your professional life. So what I think some of those spheres sacrifice when you reach the holy grail of what we want, what we think we want when we're graduating out of law. So I wanted to break down those barriers verbalize the message of law. And I really wanted people to get a glimpse of the way that I was in real life. Uh, because the way that you hear Jamie Benizri now and the way that you'll see me on Snapchat, Instagram, and LinkedIn really is the way that uh, I want to be uh, in, when I'm in front of you.
2: Great. And actually, so you bring up Snapchat, LinkedIn, social media, and how you communicate this transparency through uh, those different channels. I wanted to talk to you about that next, actually, because you are a publishing powerhouse. You are <laughs> all over social media. Uh, your firm, Legal Logic, has a YouTube channel where you interview entrepreneurs. I really loved listening to those. Um, I have a whole new balloon. Fetish now after uh, listening to one of your (laughs) interviews. That was a fun one. Oh, that was great. And um, so you've you've even dubbed the term law entertainment. Will you tell me how this started? So you said it's about communicating transparency for the practice of law. But what is your walk me through your marketing plan? How do how do you even approach this?
0: We've experimented with content for years until I found my voice. And that legal logic, by association, found its voice. And so, the concept for me was really simple: Who is Jamie Benizri? He happened. He's an entrepreneur who happens to be a lawyer by trade. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think I, I, I would be just as happy selling flowers, uh, arranging arranging uh, weddings, um, uh, or making sandwiches for a subway franchise that I, that I would own. Uh, the reality is that. Um, for me, law is a vehicle for me to you know, give back to the community. So it's not un- un- uncommon for me to get hit up on Snapchat, Instagram stories, um, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, all in one day from different potential clients, and they're asking me all kinds of questions. Right. And so because I've made use of all these great platforms, when someone says, oh, I have a dispute with my landlord, what do I do? Well, I have a blog for mm. that. I have an article for that. I have a video for that, and I have um, a real simulated interview with a client about that exact situation. So it's allowed it's allowed me to give people access to legal advice um, where they typically would be charged for it. And let's face it, you know people are reading less and less. They want the information in a in an entertaining kind of way because mm-hmm. that's when it sticks. And that's when we said law entertainment is exactly what we're doing. We're providing value, we're providing content. And I want, it, I want to give it to you in a way uh, where it's fun, it's entertaining, it's engaging, but that there's real value for the end user.
2: Awesome. And so one channel we haven't talked about yet, but that's particularly interesting, is you have self-published a book, so Entrepreneur Inc., where you're Correct. using storytelling to um, talk to entrepreneurs about business issues. Will you tell me a little bit about why you think it's so important to use stories in marketing? I mean, you've written a whole book about it now, so.
0: The idea of the book was simple. It was something that, you know, me and my, my previous marketing manager had wanted to do um, in 2017. And I got to the point where, you know, I felt like to evolve and to document all the stories that I've, that I've been telling these entrepreneurs in, in talks and in sessions and in trainings, I really wanted to give them a guide where it, it wasn't Troy. I wasn't talking about the articles and the history. and all. I was talking mm. about real-life stuff. What happens when you don't incorporate? You know, and there's a story about, you know, Kelly Kale, uh, who's obviously a fictitious character, who opens her, <laughs> her juice shop, that she's always wanted to open. I thought that was
2: going to be her business. As soon as you yeah. said her name, I felt juice. Okay, Kelly
0: Kelly Kale. Obviously, she's in the juice business, <laughs> and Kelly Kale gets into business. She's sitting on inventory, and they're selling like um, you know, they're selling like hotcakes. And she there's a recall that happens um, because the kale is tainted out of California. She decides to ignore that um, that callback. And she decides to continue selling the kale that's potentially contaminated. Inevitably, she gets into trouble because um, one of her clients drinks um, a kale smoothie that's tainted with E. coli. They get sick. They sue Kelly Kale. What happens if she's not incorporated? What happens even if she's incorporated, if there's liability? So these, for me, are stories that I tell that have an immediate identifier we all like smoothies we all want to be healthy with kale
2: mm-hmm. what
0: happens if somebody who's living their entrepreneurial dream gets into trouble in this very unlikely scenario and these are the kind of stories that i tell to make it stick to make it fun to make it engaging and to create that conversation so for me storytelling is everything whether i'm in front of a judge or i'm i'm ta- i'm educating somebody about it you know um there's there could be a lot of great storytelling in law and dick wolf made a whole career out of it. So I want to use that same approach and I want people to identify with uh, their potential pitfalls and the the great opportunities that exist through, you know, storytelling, which is, you know, the best way for me to communicate a message.
2: Awesome. And so what about, though, for our listeners who are listening to this and they are feeling that they are not nearly creative enough to come up with Kelly Kale or to be able to tell, well, you know, an interesting, informative story and, in their law, what? where should they start if this whole idea of social media and storytelling and putting themselves out there is just completely overwhelming?
0: The, the principles that I've identified that have led to my marketing strategy and storytelling through LinkedIn and, I mean, strongly LinkedIn and all the other platforms, it's not about you don't have to have... know this creative drive i think the most important thing is that everybody has something to document everybody is doing something of interest um that is that that has an interest to somebody and to some audience so for me the the underlying principle is just start talking about it and i think the the underlying um feeling is that of passion and if you speak passionately if you speak with conviction I think that almost kind of almost, I'm not going to say eliminates storytelling, but that is the ultimate connector. And that's how your audience is going to connect with you, because you can speak so passionately about women's rights like we're hearing today. You could speak passionately about, you know, you know, dogs or cats or animal rights. And oftentimes, I mean, when we're looking at all the, you know, all the media today, there aren't necessarily stories that we're hearing. Um, these are people's opinions that are that are being given, uh, and but you know as soon as somebody speaks with passion and with conviction, these are feelings that resonate with our audience and that allow you to connect with your with your audience. So you need to know who you're talking to, and your message should be cloaked. Uh, with passion and conviction. And I think that if you don't have any stories to tell, and that's okay, you'll eventually have stories to tell if you start this process of documenting and thinking about it, um, because eventually it becomes a habit.
2: Thanks. I think that's a really nice point. I think that's probably helpful for our listeners who are looking at what you're doing and aren't anywhere close to 30,000 people on LinkedIn. So might be (laughs) a little bit overwhelmed at where to even start. But that idea of speaking with passion and connecting with the right audience, I think could definitely be the first steps for them.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
2: How do you know when you need to outsource some of your marketing? And how do you decide when it should be you at the helm of it?
0: Oh man, such a good one. Um, so I could tell you my story is one of, you know, a guy who started the firm by himself. I never had any partners until recently. And it's tough because, you know, you're judge, jury, and executioner. You're yeah. the guy who's, you know, shaking hands at cocktails to try to drum up business. You're the guy who's meeting clients at 8 a.m. to try to get their business and to serve the existing client base that you've worked so hard to build. You're the guy who's you know washing the dishes. Uh, you're the guy who's drafting the letters and ex- executing the work. Mm-hmm. So where do you draw the line? So uh, my strategy was, let's get a marketing director in place. Let's hire lawyers. Let's get a full-time bookkeeper. Let's beef up our, our, our accounting team. Let's get some, you know, so I put all the pieces into place and I started delegating and What happened with my marketing director, who had put together a great marketing plan at the time, is that we, you know, he was my communication strategy. So every, you know, every post that went out, every event, he would document and his task would be to make sure that people saw Jamie Benizri, Logic, and the lawyers uh, in in their events and kind of in action and speaking to clients and, you know, within the community. And at a certain point, his mandate ended. And I took over all the social media. And what happened? The the most interesting thing that happened is that as soon as I took over social media, communication, newsletter, um, you know, all of these marketing communication things, is that's when I really started connecting with my audience like never before, because everything that was coming out, not only was it done in real time, but it was in my voice. And so for me, it is absolutely essential. For you to always be the one that's at the helm of the communication strategy. you're the one making I mean and it's I think it's important to have help you know it's in, it's impossible to do everything by yourself but the every LinkedIn post that you've seen um, over the past year, every LinkedIn post that you've seen, every Instagram picture, every tweet and every Facebook post has come through my thumbs and has and has been uh, diffused. In real time, um, and that has changed everything for me, because every so many things happen on a daily basis that by the time it goes into, you know, into the marketing machine and the post gets approved, and you know, where this is days later. I mean, and, and that's right. old, that's yeah. old news. Mm-hmm. Nobody, ca- this is we're Friday today. Nobody cares what I did on Monday. No, nobody cares what I did yesterday. So my whole thing now is. It, the message has to come from me. It has to be authentic. It needs to be consistent, and it needs to be bold. Because if it's not, if it doesn't have those three, those three characteristics, um, people will tune out, and you know they'll they'll go to somewhere else where they can be. Their attention it, it will be more easily uh, captured. After the break. Find your guru, find your, the person that you identify with and, you know, experiment with the way they're doing things and, and you will eventually invariably develop your
1: style. Today's tip of the day is brought to you by CBIA Lawyers Financial. Effective networking is an important skill for all lawyers, but especially for solo practitioners. Being on your own can be isolating at times and it's important to have a network of people you can call on to share ideas or ask for advice. Building a network will also help position you in your community as the go-to person for a specific skill or practice area. This can help lead to business development opportunities. The more people know what value you bring, the more they can refer you. Networking isn't just about meeting as many people as possible. It's about meeting the right people, maintaining contact, and cultivating relationships. Networking is a two-way street. The more value you give to your network, the more value you will receive in return. Lawyers Financial has interviewed a number of solo lawyers to discuss the benefits and challenges of this career choice. Through videos, they talk about freedom, the challenges of running a business, and the need to network. To learn more, visit lawyersfinancial.ca slash blog and filter articles for sole practitioners.
2: Actually, one of my questions for you is for our audience here of small and solo firm lawyers. Uh, Do you have any resources you recommend? Any kind of do-it-yourself guides that are useful or, um, yeah. yeah, how, how good, can they, where question. can they start?
0: You know, I, I think that we have to be careful with, you know, espousing or getting too enamored with any one guide, with any one style. I think that everyone really has to develop their own style because if you're just taking the page out of somebody else's textbook, it's gonna sound like them. So find your guru, find your the person that you identify with, and you know tr- experiment with the way they're doing things, and and you will eventually invariably develop your style. And I love guys like you know Gary Vaynerchuk and even Grant Cardone and all the classics, mm-hmm. um, and, and you know even local you know local guys like you know Benoit chalifou who's just this great um, you know professor out of UCam who travels the world talking about soft skills. I mean, for me, guys like that are inspiring because they're real. You can see them. You don't necessarily have to spend fifty, you know, you know thousands of dollars going to an Anthony Robbins conference to get right. inspired. Although that's great. You can look there's such such great local talent especially in Montreal, where the conference game is so strong, mm. you can go to a Sanka set and really get inspired, and I want to be part of that community and this is why people ask me, you know why do you talk at these events? Why do you moderate panels um and and for me it's for one, it helps me refine and identify my communication model uh number two, this is where my clients are, and number three it's my duty as somebody who's part of this. This entrepreneurial and legal ecosystem. It's my obligation to give back, be present, and you know connect with the people that are there. You know, I threw out a lot of big uh, names that were all male, um, but a lot of my favorites, you know, we'll call them in French, the coup de cœur, are are in fact females. You know, Daniel Henkel for me is somebody who's great, um, great message, great. You know, just these are great stories. People, everybody from you know Samantha, Chris. To you know, Sonia Zerbatani, to Zaina Garzuzzi. These are for me, you know, great local heroes of people that are just, you know, doing, you know, such good things. I think for me it's, you know, just start consuming. Start just start mm-hmm. start going out there, consume content. So add thousands of people indiscriminately and spend weeks curating your material
2: hmm So instead of, instead of following a do-it-yourself guide, actually getting out there, following people, emulating, but developing your own voice, both local and, uh, you know, unknown. celebrity. Yeah, unknown. So I've taken up a lot of your time, and I know you're a busy person. And so the first thing I want to know is what's the biggest mistake you've ever made when it comes to legal marketing? And then I want to know what your top piece of advice is to lawyers who are just starting to get into amping up their legal marketing.
0: So good. So first question, the mistakes I've made so many. One of the biggest mistakes I think that I've learned to identify is, you know, traditional marketing once, um, you know, it, it believes that just putting your logo, you know, out there, right. whether it's in a, a calendar, a journal, this is what accounts still for a huge part of the, of, of the market. So a lot, you know, for me, it is completely irrelevant to slap your logo uh, uh, in a place where nobody, no, nobody knows who's behind that logo. Um, y- anything that you do today in terms of marketing and communication needs to have your fingerprint, your presence, your passion, and your momentum behind that initiative. So you know, it's not it's not enough to you know just to kind of be in a calendar. It's not enough to be in a in a in a, in a lawyer's guide. It's not right. even enough to be in a in a, in a in a in a in a in a newspaper to take out a full page ad. The rules of marketing have changed, and today I go around preaching. You know, we've all you know we're all lawyers. We all understand the concept of corporate veil, where you know you know mm-hmm. our you know the the administrators and and, and shareholders hide behind the 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 protective veil of a corporation today we are lifting the the cultural veil and that applies to law firms too so today we are lifting the cultural veil and we want to know who's behind the law firm who's behind the brand and lawyers are not immune to that in fact for lawyers i think it's amplified because the human connection element and the trust and confidence that lawyer, that that clients are looking to develop with their lawyers are so much more impactful than somebody who's buying a sandwich, somebody who's wants to buy a suit, somebody who wants to is in the market for a car. That relationship is still so privileged that we need to lift the cultural veil and actually be present with our marketing strategies. Stop spending money on, you know, just dumping your logo in a particular place and thinking or even writing an article and thinking that clients are going to come. Clients still, clients today expect more um, from their lawyers and from their professionals.
2: And so, my last, my last question—it was my second piece of that question—was your top piece of advice to someone who's just starting uh, in the sphere of legal marketing?
0: Okay, so early on, um, you know, one of the biggest, I think, sore points for lawyers is you know, is billing. It's such a hard. Um, it's such a hard thing yeah. because we're selling our time. Time is so limited. You can't get it back. And once it runs out, I mean, it runs out. And so we're tied to this notion of I work for you, you pay me. So for me, it's always been this double-edged sword about how do I, how do I support this infrastructure that we have? I mean, I have a 7,000-square-foot office. We have employees. We have overhead. I have a family. How do we how do we do this how do we make a living how do we monetize law and and the advice that we're giving so my and at the beginning we were doing free incorporations we were doing free consultations we wow. were giving free workshops we were doing so much to show the community that we were going to be different and that you know we were here for the long run and we still have such so many great packages available for entrepreneurs but i think one of the things that i think not were overlooked but we didn't have time to put in place because we grew so fast thank God was to create the metrics and the systems that allowed for us to capture things and to become more efficient as we did things and so one of the biggest problems I had was being consistent with our pricing and being consistent with um, the systems that allowed for us to to scale you know this business so don't compromise on your on your value, don't compromise on your wealth. And I, had, you know, I, I saw such a great thing circulating. On, um, in fact, when I spoke to a contractor this morning, who and, and I and I brought up the story, you know, there was there's a story of this company that had called two three engineering firms to identify a problem in their project, and they couldn't advance on the project, and so finally they called upon my client, who's a well known engineer, comes in. And he spent two hours there and he fixed the entire problem. He identified where it was on the chain wow. and so on and so forth. And after that, uh, he spent two hours on site and he sent them a bill for $50,000. <gasps> he sent them this monstrous invoice of $50,000, monstrous because he was there for two hours. So he gets a call, obviously, they're infuri- infuriated and they say, who do you think you are? sending us a bill of $50,000. You know, you were there. You know what I mean? That's a nice rate. And he said, and they said, you know, you're there (laughs) for two hours. You know, how how could you, how do you justify this? He goes, sir, for a year, you've been calling on all of these people and they couldn't identify the problems. I go, and he said, it took me 50 years of training because he's been in the game for so long. To be able for it to take me two hours to identify exactly what your problem was. And he says in the long run, he had all the stats. He says, in the report I produced for you, I saved you $3.4 million in your project infrastructure. And you know, mm-hmm. that this is the concept. And and I tell you the story because we're so concerned with our hourly rates. That we often lose track of the real value that we bring to the table about saving somebody's business, saving somebody's assets, saving somebody's intellectual property, that it's okay to charge your rate. You need to be clear with your client. You need to set the parameters of your mandate. But once the value is set and once the parameters are set, it's okay to bill for the value that you bring to the table Um, And if you can justify that value, you should be consistent with it. Do not compromise. If a client tells you that it it can be cheaper elsewhere, let him go elsewhere. Because what will happen is that he'll call you back the next day and be like, okay, fine, I'm just going to go with you. Don't compromise your value. Don't compromise your value because everyone has value. And if you are creative and if you are good at what you do, you know, the mandates uh, will follow because your reputation will be solidified.
2: That's a really nice message to end on, I think. Don't compromise your value to all the small and solo firms out there thinking about uh, starting up their legal marketing. I have to ask, though, did your client get paid the 50000
0: He absolutely got paid. I was That's his good. lawyer, and mm-hmm. I was actually his lawyer representing him. Uh, and after a few heated conversations between me and the other lawyer, my client got a fat check.
2: That's a nice ending to a story. So, <laughs> yeah. and for the record,
0: for the record, I did not bill him fifty thousand <laughs> yeah, uh, dollars in exchange, um, but um, but it was a it was a fun file.
2: All right. So, just anyone listening, your rate isn't twenty five thousand dollars an hour.
0: Good to know. You know what? You know what? One day it will be. So just be
1: careful.
2: <laughs> all right. Well, Jamie, <laughs> thank you so much for your time. It was such a pleasure to get to chat with you about all of these amazing and creative and exciting ways to start telling people with passion what it is that you're doing in the law. Wow, I have so much creative energy just listening to Jamie. I'd love to hear how his vision translate for you and your small or solo firm. How are you going to start communicating your legal expertise to prospective clients? Tweet to us at CBA underscore news, or you can reach me at my handle at Marlise SS. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to receive notifications for new episodes. We also have a podcast in French called Je Riste Mancher. For more information on how to create a marketing plan, check out the CBA Legal Futures Initiative's Guide on Managing Change for Small and Solo Firms on our website, cba.org futures. It has some excellent resources, such as a change management communication plan checklist. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode.